Hi, everybody. Welcome to another edition of Packers Unscripted from Packers.com. I am Mike Spofford, joined, as always, by the one and only Weston Hodkowitz. We're coming to you here from our studios at Lambeau Field. And, Wes, the first round of the 2021 NFL Draft is one week away from today. So both on this show and our show early next week, we are going to get into some draft preview here with regard to the Packers. And those who have been paying attention to our website will see that you and I have been in the midst of our annual position-by-position roster review, sort of giving the overview of every position on the roster, where things stand heading into the draft. Today actually wraps up the look at the offensive positions. Tomorrow will be the start of the defensive positions and carry into next week. But I'll just throw this out there to you as a wide-open question. We know the Packers don't ultimately make their draft decisions when it comes right down to it and you're on the clock based on what position you want. It's about how the board falls and the best player available. But what do you see as the Packers' highest priorities position-wise in terms of what this roster needs to get out of this 2021 draft? I just have to start with, I really, it'd be really refreshing one year if, you know, because Brian Gutekunst is going to talk on Monday, he'll do his pre-draft press. Right, yes, we're going to hear from him on Monday afternoon. Yep, a lot of of GMs are doing that right now. It'd be really refreshing if a GM went up there and said, we're going, this is like with the 21st pick in the first round, we're going receiver. (laughs) Whatever we're taking the best receiver yeah. available. Now I don't care about the other. Just positions. announce your intentions. Make it known to everybody. We want a receiver. Right? Yeah, I think that'd be actually the way to go about do this. We don't care how the board falls. Yeah. Don't care if like twenty <laughs> receivers have been taken. We're taking a receiver. No, uh, you're right because if you look at it from Green Bay's perspective, they always talk about best player available. Everybody talks about best player available now, but the Packers started doing it first. Let's just make that known as well. <laughs> but no. Th- I, I always say this, Mike. I use history as my guide here. People, mock drafters, will go and they'll give the Packers a, re- a receiver in the first round. Packers haven't taken a receiver in the first round in, since I was an eighth grader, right? They talk about inside linebacker. Packers haven't taken a first round inside linebacker since 2005. Those type of things. So 2006. that's why. 2006. 2006, excuse me. 2005 was a different first round pick. Yeah, it was. <laughs> Man, it's been a rough start to today already for me. Okay, here we go. No, but it, it's been a minute, right? Yeah. So there's two ways you can look at that. Either they're overdue for one, or that just isn't the direction they're going to go. So me personally, I use history as my guide. Packers have gone with a lot of offensive linemen, a lot of defensive linemen, and some defensive backs in the first round. And to me, Mike, I said it in our offseason show with Larry, I look at offensive line as a position where you're going to get a lot of bang for your buck one with the strength of this draft and some of the guys that could potentially be available there at number 29 but two also because and as I wrote in our position by position that is running on Thursday the Packers have so much versatility there yeah that if you find a guy that is a really good prospect that maybe he was a left tackle maybe he was a college guard maybe maybe he was a center although typically that's not been a position the Packers have used uh, have drafted in the first round, you can move around the rest of your pieces. I think this offensive line looks really formidable. If you have Billy Turner at right tackle, I think you have a guy like L- Lucas Patrick that can play anywhere inside. And then Elton Jenkins is going to be the ultimate wild card here throughout his time in Green Bay because you can play him in so different, so many different positions. So depending on how the board falls, that's the position right now I think really makes a lot of sense for Green Bay. We've heard all the rumblings about defensive line not being as – as deep in this draft, so then that raises the question of do you go get one early? Yeah. Do you not get one at all? Sure. And then certainly some intriguing outside rushers, 
some great cornerbacks that could be available at the end of the first round. It's going to be really interesting, probably more than any other draft I've covered. Entering that final stretch of the first round, I think there's a lot of guys that could make sense for Green Bay. Yeah, I, I've i been saying this for several weeks now, that as far as the, the priority positions of need for the Packers, to me there are three that jump out. It's offensive line, defensive line, and cornerback. Now, that's not to say that, I mean, yes, you would like to obviously add an inside linebacker. You'd like to, you'd definitely like to draft a receiver this year after not drafting one last year, given the contract situations yep. and, and all that um, at that position. But in terms of the, the highest priorities, for me, it's the offensive line, the defensive line, and cornerback. And when you look at what the analysts are saying about this draft and with the Packers sitting at number 29, it sure seems like there's a good chance that an offensive tackle or a cornerback, because of the depth of those positions, that there's going to be a darn good one there that the Packers could get at 29. Could be a lot harder to get a defensive lineman because they're talking about this being a really thin class in that regard. And it also might be difficult to get a, a quality defensive lineman later in the draft. So then you start to wonder, well, if one of the top defensive linemen is there at 29, can you afford to pass on that guy, right? If, there, if there's greater depth at offensive tackle and cornerback. Then, of course, there's always, with Brian Gutekunst, there's always the possibility of trading and moving around the board, right? I mean, does he trade up from 29? Does the board look so strong at 29? Does he trade back? You know, a few spots would put him in the top of the second round, pick up an extra pick somewhere. We'll talk about those possibilities and scenarios on our next show a little bit as well. But the guys, the guys in the trenches and then a, and then a cornerback, because beyond Jair Alexander, your next two cornerbacks, Kevin King and Shannon Sullivan, at this point yeah. are only on one-year deals for 2021. So you've got to start looking at uh, you've got to start looking at the future at those positions. And to me, you know, there's always that. With regard to offensive and defensive linemen, there's the planet theory, right? There, you know, the Lord only makes so many big guys <laughs> yeah. that can move and and do the things that offensive offensive linemen and defensive linemen need to do. Finding a franchise left tackle in the fourth round, like the Packers did eight years ago with David Bakhtiari, that's the exception, not yeah. the rule in this in this game. And um, so. You know, offensive tackle certainly with Bakhtiari's injury, the flexibility the Packers have across the offensive line is a huge asset, as you've talked about. But with Bakhtiari's injury, the fact that Rick Wagner has not been brought back, you've got an offensive tackle, somebody, somebody whether it's to back up both spots as a rookie or to potentially step in and start right away, depending on how you want to sort that thing out, that's got to be a high priority. Yeah, and I don't want to turn this into like, oh, here's who the Packers are going to draft. But more right. than probably any draft, maybe going back to 2014, there's a guy I fell in love with through this process, and that's Tevin Jenkins out of Oklahoma State. Now, I'm not the draft guy here. You are. Like, if you go on Packers.com, it says senior writer. And in really small four aerial print, it says in draft analyst. So you have that going for you as well. Okay. So I'm not that guy, but I think I'm as excited about Tevin Jenkins as any guy that probably going back to the C.J. Mosley, Ryan Shazier draft with the, with the safeties being there too, uh, with HaHa Clinton Dix ultimately being the guy the Packers picked. The reason I really like him is, one, if you listen to him speak, I, I'm not even going to talk about the, the X's and O's right away. He just sounds like a Packers type of player. 
a Packers type of person. We obviously, you know, you touched on it. There's not a great history of offensive line play from from Oklahoma State, but the Packers got a pretty darn good one as an undrafted free agent in that 13, after that 13 draft in Lane Taylor. Absolutely. But, you know, you also mentioned, you know, God only creating so many six foot six people, 320 pound people, guys that have good footwork that can play multiple positions. To me, Jenkins really screams a guy that could go in. You could have an idea of where you wanted to play him. Last year, they got John Runyon, and Adam Stenovich kept him. I believe it was at left guard throughout training camp, and that was his station. Yep. But I, I really, I, I'm not going to be a guy that's going to sit down and break down all these prospects for you. But he's one guy that just continually makes sense if he's potentially there at the end of the first round. Yeah, I'm I'm with you there on Jenkins. I, Again, we've had since the beginning of April, we've had a series on our website that we that we decided to call Draft Digest. New series this year. We weren't able to do prospect primers, the you know, the videos and voiceovers and all that fun stuff we've done in past years because there was no NFL scouting combine, which is where we used to gather all of that stuff for prospect primers. So a little bit of a condensed written uh series format with Draft Digest, which essentially I just did right at the beginning of April, actually late March, sat down, looked at a whole bunch of mock drafts from reputable national media outlets. Not, you know, hopefully it wasn't, I wasn't looking at the guys doing the stuff in their, you know, John is basement.com. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, But uh, essentially just try, tried to keep a tally in these national mock drafts of the guys most often projected to be selected in the bottom third of the first round from pick number 20 to pick number 32 because yeah I mean a lot of a lot of guys are probably going to be picked in that 19 20 21 22 range but as we said maybe Brian Gutekunst decides to trade up so I so I wanted to you know just look at the the whole bottom third of the first round there and you're, that guy you just mentioned, Tevin Jenkins, is a guy who's who's he's projected in just about every mock draft to be drafted somewhere between like twenty and thirty. You know that that bottom third of the first round is one of those as one of those offensive tackles that's going to be available late in in the first round. Yeah. I think there are very good odds there. The other one that I will mention going back to, and this player will be in our in our draft digest series. I'm not sure. I'm not even sure if Jenkins has been posted yet. If he hasn't, he will be. You can he, find it eventually. Because he's on the list. Another guy, I'm not sure he's been posted yet. But with regard to the the thin class of defensive linemen, okay, Christian Barmore from yeah. Alabama. Yeah. Boy, this is a guy. Now, there are some questions about, you know, just his overall experience because he hasn't played a ton at Alabama, yeah. came on like gangbusters in the college football playoff, you know, the biggest games of the year for the Crimson Tide. And when I look at, when I look at the odds of, there, uh, first off, there's a good chance he won't be there at yeah. 29, right? But it's one of those things that because of the Packers' need on the defensive line, you'd love to get somebody paired there with Kenny Clark on the interior of the defensive line for somebody, a, a big-time player that you have in the fold like long-term. And the fact that this defensive line class is pretty thin, if a guy like Barmore is available at number 29, I, don't, I have no idea if the Packers like him. Maybe, maybe they don't. I don't know. Maybe they do like him. I have no idea. But it just seems to me that would be a guy that would be really, really hard to pass up. Yeah. Um, 
based on the state of your roster and the state of this particular draft based on what all the analysts And now obviously it's not it's not uncommon for you know Alabama players to go out early you know they have some success and they want to go and obviously get what's coming to them and Barmore though in a lot of ways he's he's very much built differently uh, than Kenny Clark but doesn't he kind of remind you of that a little bit in terms of the redshirt sophomore a young guy absolutely that you might you know not expect him to come in right away and be like but throughout the course of a year become a starter become a contributor um, obviously a good history there as well and it is a short position it's a short bench there so you, you do wonder you know w- what is going to be available to Green Bay in this draft and are you going to be able to find the big body, the Mike Daniels type? Are they going to really slip into the fourth round um, and really surprise people this year? Just because it makes a lot of sense, Mike, when we talk about all these various positions, why is defensive line a little bit you know, thinner this year? Why is defensive tackle a little bit thinner? Because I think there's a lot of guys at the college realm that wanted to go back. They're not going to have the 20-sack seasons. They wanted to go back and get a chance to really show what they can do before going out there taking that jump and going into the pros and yeah it's going to be uh you know supply and demand and seeing where those guys could potentially fall yeah and another point to make with regard to the defensive line i looked at i looked at drafts over the past 10 years essentially the last decade of drafts and if you look at all the defensive linemen who were drafted late in the first round it's really hard i mean the track record quite frankly is terrible yeah it's really hard to find a guy i mean as far as defensive linemen drafted, you know, in the late 20s, late in the first round over the last decade, Kenny Clark is by far the best one, like, across the board. Like, it's not even close. Yeah. I mean, the Packers hit a home run finding a guy like Kenny Clark at 26th overall five years ago in 2016. It's really, really hard to do. Um so that's, that's why I've really got my eye on the defensive linemen, exactly where they're going to go early in this draft. And if one of the top guys, you know, another one from Washington, Levi Unwuzuriki is another one in our Draft Digest series. He's another one to keep an eye on too. Yeah. A guy that, you know, the... A guy that probably is getting, and I'm, I'm trying not to be disparaging here because that's not how I want to come off, but a guy that's probably getting maybe more attention than he would in another year just because there are so few defensive linemen who are considered you know, a first or high second right. round you know, ty- type of pick. He's graded in that area, but there just aren't that many of right. them. You know? So th- yeah. that's, that's the point I'm making there. Um, quickly, Wes, before I forget... A little bit of sponsor business. Sirius XM NFL Radio delivers hard-hitting analysis and up-to-the-minute NFL news that true football fanatics need 24-7, 365. All right. You mentioned, uh, with regard to the cornerback position, I want to get, I want to get yeah. your thoughts here because there are a lot of guys, a lot of corners being projected to go in the first round. It looks like there are certainly going to be a few that will go well before the Packers would be even really in range of of, of legitimately trading up, unless Gutekunst is going to make some huge sacrifice, yes. which I don't, which I don't necessarily see. But do you have your eye on any guys at the cornerback position if the Packers potentially? 
uh, end up going that route at the end of the first round. Yeah, I'll start with Caleb Farley. Uh, a couple reasons for that. One, he's you were talking about not really knowing where guys are going to go. Farley's one of them because he sat out this past year and for very good reason. You know, he lost his mother, wanted to protect his father. Uh, you know, all, all the right reasons, but had just an absolutely thrilling year before that. I mean, we're talking about a guy, if you go by credentials and what he accomplished in his college career, uh, you know, in terms of the position, he checks all the boxes for you there. But he, he stepped away from the game this year. So now there's going to be those questions about guys that didn't play. How does that affect their draft stock? Where do they end up going? Does it matter at all? So, but he's been a difficult one to kind of get your thumb on and where he's going to fit. But love the size for the position, has amazing ball hawking skills. I think positionally from a scheme fit could really fit what the Packers' vision is going to be here. But again, is that guy going to be there at 29? Yeah. The one that I think everybody, at least because of the Big Ten connections, are looking at is Greg Newsom. And again, a guy that has nice size for the position, uh, incredibly intelligent. You know, you know, he's been a part of that renaissance here. Not really a renaissance, but sort of taking it to the next level at Northwestern the last few seasons. Uh, and, and a guy that we've heard a lot about. If you, if you follow the Badgers, if you follow Big Ten football, you've heard of Greg Newsom the last few seasons. Yeah. Now, where does his star point in the NFL? I'm not sure. But he seems to be a guy that could be a plug-and-play type corner. Certainly when you look at Green Bay and their history now with Northwestern between Dean Lowry, Tyler Lancaster, and also getting Danny Vitale a couple years ago, there's been a footprint uh, in a you know a connection between those two st- that state and this program. So uh, th- those are kind of the two that I, I was looking at. But as you said, Mike, there's a lot of different guys that could potentially be in the mix there. And seeing how that falls, because even you go back to like 2018, I think everyone was kind of high on Jair Alexander, and he was a riser throughout the draft process. But then there he is, ends up being the number two or the second cornerback taken in yeah. that draft. Um, and then you go back to two years ago, and then you know Darnell Savage is the first defensive back drafted. So it's always difficult to pinpoint which what is going to be the order when the time comes for guys to come off the board, and what what exactly how that's going to shuffle out. But when I was going through this process, and you might have a couple more names, but those were kind of the two that stuck out to me in terms of has the size that Green Bay looks for in the position, the ball hawking skills, and, and a lot of those athletic intangibles that the Green Bay Packers have looked for from that position. Yeah, a couple of other guys that uh, that I did um, draft digest recaps on, um, Eric Stokes from Georgia and J.C. Horn from South Carolina. Now very different um, evaluations here because with regard to Stokes, the word on him is is maybe he's a late first-round pick, but a lot of people projecting him more as a second-rounder. So then you wonder, you know, if Gutekunst were to trade back from 29, if the board looks really strong, then early in the second round, is that where you grab a guy like Stokes? Now, just to, also to provide an example of how these things can change, I mentioned doing, you know, this national mock draft research at the end of March, right? Well, at that time, J.C. Horn the cornerback from South Carolina and the son of former NFL wide receiver Joe Horn, um, he was projected. Isn't that funny at, how that's happening now, by the way? Yeah. Asante Samuel Jr. I mean, like, right. it's crazy. Yeah, I know. Like the guy, getting, I know. I know that's happened to you for a while, a but for wild. guys like me that I grew up watching, now their kids are playing, that's going to yeah. make me feel old real fast. But at the time I was doing the mock draft research, Horn was Horn was picked a lot in like the early 20s like that's where he ended up sort of in my tally sheet as I was putting it together but now here we are a few weeks later 
J.C. Horn has, is a guy who has risen up. He's projected a lot more often to be picked in the in more in the teens and even you know potentially in the in the upper half um, of the first round. And the you know the chances of him making it into the twenties start looking less and less here the closer we get to the draft. So again, just it just shows you how how the the perceptions and you know whatever whatever. Uh, information leaks that are you know that are coming out in terms of in terms of how teams are viewing these prospects things can change all the way just even in the even in the last month up to draft day but those are those are two guys that have been um, have been highlighted on our on our website in the draft digest series if you want to go check out uh, check them out as well I want to go back to um, I want to go back to the offensive line a little bit too just to get any thoughts you might have on other guys? You mentioned Tevin Jenkins. The other one, out to stick with the Big 12, um, Samuel Cosme from Texas yeah. is another. Um, the, these are the two. These are the two guys. When I was, you know, kind of researching and reading about them, these are the two guys that, for offensive linemen, sort of have been have been labeled as having like this nasty streak. Like whatever that whatever that exactly what, what is, that I'm, not, I'm not sure. Um, <laughs> But uh, um, but it sounds like these are these are kind of some like bad dudes when they put the uh, when they put the helmet on. Um, so just uh, just curious. But Cosme is another one who strikes me a lot like Jenkins from Oklahoma State in that in that the size and all the physical characteristics are there. The experience, the number of games they've played, everything is there. And also there's some flexibility there as to whether, you know, maybe it's right side, left side, maybe it's even guard if you want to go that route and move other guys around. Um, just uh, um, an- another another guy to keep an eye on there. But I don't know if there are any other offensive linemen that you've, that you've heard about. We have to talk about Quinn Minerts, right? Oh, I sure. I mean, we have to. I, this is what's, what's great about his story. The Whitewater Warhawk. If there's anything that the state of Wisconsin has produced over the last 25 years in the national football, it's offensive linemen. How does a kid from Wisconsin, from Hartford, end up at, and all due respect to Whitewater, Whitewater is a powerhouse. Absolutely. Division three powerhouse my entire lifetime, basically, right? At yep. least my adult life. How does no one catch on to this kid? And then he goes to Whitewater, has a great run there, and is not just like, oh, like a, oh he might get picked. Might be a seventh rounder. I mean, this guy's probably going to be a starting center in this league, or at least a starting offensive lineman. Yeah. I mean, in, in his story, and it's been kind of well-documented here through the draft, and obviously he's been on NFL Network and all these different appearances he's made, but, you know, they joke about the, the short shirt and, you know, those type of things, and they, they, it makes good headlines, it makes good videos that you want to click on, but the guy's a really good football player. And it's kind of cool for a state that only has one Division One football program that – a lot of times, if you're not going to Wisconsin, you're leaking out to the MAC. You're leaking out to you know the Division II schools out in Minnesota. Uh, this guy went to Whitewater and he made himself into an NFL prospect. And just seeing his story play out, I'm very curious to see a where he goes, b which team is going to take him, because for Whitewater, they've had guys get to the pros. Some of them have done it in Green Bay, Wisconsin, but <laughs> they haven't had like a big prospect in the National Football League, a guy that has expectations on him, and Quinn is going to be that guy. Yeah, I mean, from what I'm hearing, I mean, it's it sounds like he's a day two pick. Yeah. They're talking second or third round for a guy out of UW-Whitewater, which is which is quite the, uh, quite the praise and quite the accomplishment there. One more question I'm going to throw at you before we go for today. You mentioned 
right off the top, the Packers have not drafted a wide receiver in the first round since 2002, since your eighth grade year out there in the Howard Swamico School District. Bayview. <laughs> Bayview, there you go. Bayview Middle School. Yeah. Um, but I want to ask you this question. If that streak were to end and the Packers were to draft a receiver in the first round, a lot of different guys being talked about, you have your, you have like your smaller sort of slot guys yep. like the Kadarius Tony from Florida, Elijah Moore from Mississippi, Rondale Moore from Purdue. You have, I guess what I would say, your, your more full-bodied, like bigger receivers, Rashad Bateman from Minnesota, a guy like Terrace Marshall from LSU, another example in that regard. So my question to you is if the streak dating back to 2002 were to end, do you think which type of receiver do you think Brian Gutekunst might go? It'd be funny if the streak ended that they just go all in, they just go up and get Devontae Smith. Let's just <laughs> let's just get him. Let's bring him in. Devontae who, likes him. Who weighed who weighed 166 pounds, Which I believe, when he when he weighed in in Indianapolis the other day. Less I mean, than what I 166 weigh. pounds playing in the NFL. I mean, the guy is an incredible athlete, an incredible football player. But man, when you step on the scale and that's your size in in this league, it it's gonna it's gonna raise some questions. Yeah, Tavon Austin. It was funny last year when he came in, and we were revisiting when he came out in L.A. or excuse me, at the time St. Louis made him what was it, the eighth overall pick, and he was 178 coming out. And people were kind of wondering about that. So Smith is gonna have to break down some barriers here for the receiver position if he's just, gonna succeed. Just to add to, a lot of people wondered about Aaron Donald's size yes, as well, and no look doubt. what. Look what Aaron Donald has done on the defensive line with multiple defensive players of the year and all that. But we digress. That back being to, said, back to the wide receiver. We're not going to be covering Devontae Smith. The Packers didn't lose enough games for the you know Devontae Smith to be in their their right. neck of the woods. But okay, so Bateman is obviously, if you look from a pure standpoint, again going back to the track record of what the Packers have drafted, Bateman fits the mold. That's yes. the type of receiver they've gone after. They've liked those, you know, six three, six four receivers since Brian Gutekunst has been GM. That's the direction they've they've tilted. That being said, Mike, the Packers, we don't. There is no third running back right now. Tyler Irvin is still a free agent. I, I wonder, like I said with last year when they drafted Josiah Deguara, we learned at that moment how much that flex, fullback, tight end position is going to mean in this offense. In this draft, we're going to learn a lot about what the, that sweep, jet sweep receiver means. Because I think we learned with Austin coming in, it doesn't have to be a running back. It can be a receiver. But what kind of investment do they want to put into that? So right. that being said, Elijah Moore is my guy. Okay. If, if they end up, not saying he's going to just do that, but I mean in terms of the shiftier, smaller receiver that can do a lot of different things for you. Size is what it is. But... I think you've seen guys, if they can prove that their body can stand up to the hits in the, the week-to-week, now 17 games uh, in a regular season, that they can be really dynamic in this league. And he's the one that when I go through this list in terms of what is realistic for Green Bay at the end of the first round, he's the guy that jumps off the board for me. Yeah, I mean, to me, to me the, on, the only reason that these, that these you know smaller, speedier, slot-wide receivers are even being considered or, or mocked by the experts, some of them to the Packers at the end of the first round, is all because of Matt LaFleur's scheme, in yeah. my opinion, that that they see it, they see it, it's seen as a, as a need. 
And Matt, Matt LaFleur's track record is that he wants to have one of those guys. I mean, they went and plucked Tyler Irvin out of nowhere, and boom, he was, he was thrown into the offense right away late in 2019. They tried to do the same thing last year with Tavon Austin because Irvin was hurt. They didn't have that guy. Like, Matt LaFleur wants that guy. So the question you just asked, like, how big an investment What's the are they going to make? Because I think the Packers are going to address that position in this draft. I just don't know what round or what pick you know they're going to use to do it how big of an investment are they going to make because because Matt LaFleur wants that guy he wants he wants that type of weapon in his offense to add to the openness the creativity and everything of the playbook you got the cool stat about Minnesota I want you to say it now in terms of the Packers, how long it had been since they drafted with somebody from Minnesota even though the fact that they've drafted more gophers than any other player in NFL history. Yeah, when the Packers drafted Kamal Martin last year, they had not drafted a player from the University of Minnesota since 1996. And yet, Minnesota still ranks number one in ter- all time in terms of uh, the number of players the Packers have drafted yeah. from that school. So, I do- yeah, just an interesting tidbit I happened to come across when I was doing some research. I do like that. Bateman a lot. You know, the one thing about Minnesota is you don't really think, and this is no disrespect to their program, but, you know, they've, been, they've gone through some lean years in my adult life. You, you haven't really been able to think of many guys that came out of that program that were like stars in the NFL. Plenty of guys that played at a high level in the NFL, but not a lot of stars. Bateman has the star factor. He had it when he played for the Gophers, and I think he's going to have it at the next level. I'm very curious to see which direction he goes. And as I said, Mike, I think the number one thing we're going to learn, whatever round the Packers draft a receiver, and I'm not saying they have to, but if they don't, it'll be the first time in franchise history that they've gone three straight drafts without taking one. It's never yeah, happened right. since the receiver position has been a designation, basically. Yeah. So when they do draft that guy, is it going to be another 6'4 body or is it going to be someone that's a little bit smaller and shiftier? That's the number one thing I think we're going to learn about with this offense and the direction it's going in this season. Yeah, all right. Well, we've gone way over time today. Our it was producer fun. Marv, it was fun. It was fun. Our producer Marv is going to be mad at us, but uh, – Uh, Forgive us, Marv. With that, we are signing off on this edition of Packers Unscripted. Be sure to follow all of our pre-draft coverage, position series, draft digest series. It's all there on Packers.com. For Wes, I'm Mike. Thank you for tuning in, everybody. See you next time.